What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident Podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Next Level Competent Podcast. My name is Janelle Lene, and today I have with me an amazing guest. Her name is Kate Schenecker, and she is the confidence consultant for Next Level Confident. She's a personal trainer and a yoga instructor. Let's give a warm welcome to Kate. Kate, how are you doing today? I'm so good. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm very happy to be here. And ah, I'm so excited. And so grateful that you have me. Um, yeah, so I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a personal trainer, yoga instructor, and confidence consultant. And I actually met Janelle originally because I stalked her on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and I loved her content. I loved everything that she had to say. I just, Janelle is a force for good. Um, so I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, Kate, and thanks for stalking me a few years ago <laughs> on Instagram. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, I remember the first time you like messaged me and we hopped on a call together. And I think it was right before you became a personal trainer. And we were just talking about how we had such a heart for helping women talk about their bodies and think about their bodies, but then also just so much more than that. Um, thinking about the mindset and the heart behind it and having that healthy relationship with yourself and that was something that really attracted me to you and that's part of the reason why our conversation continued and that's why I ended up bringing you on to the next level confident team to um to help me and next level confident find women to help impact more lives through the confidence workshop so thank you for doing that yeah okay so tell everyone what your instagram is in case anyone wants to stalk you while they're listening Oh yeah. Okay. So my Instagram account is McKayster. It's M-C-K-A-T-E-S-T-E-R. McKayster. 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 Love it. Okay, cool. So you guys, today's episode, um, we are recording this because we want to shine light on the anxiety that a lot of people are dealing with. And um, I was looking up some statistics just today. And according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, Anxiety is affecting 40 million adults in the United States, 18 and older, um, and that actually equals 18.1% of our population, so about a fourth of our population. Um, And another thing that I found is that anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only about 36.9% of those suffering will actually receive treatment. So Kate and I have had a lot of conversations over these last few months, probably almost a year, um, about the different ways that our anxiety has manifested in our life. And and Kate's just been really vulnerable in sharing her story. So that's why I chose to have Kate on today because I wanted her to share her story and then all the things that she's done to um, combat that and heal from her anxiety. So Kate, I'll let you take it from here and share your story with us. Cool. Yeah. So I am really familiar (laughs) with anxiety. I've been battling with it um, probably since I was three or four. Some of my earliest memories, I was seeing a counselor for 
trichotillomania, which is when you start pulling out all of your hair. It's, it's definitely a symptom of a more severe form of anxiety. And so back from my earliest memories, it definitely was there. And I didn't recognize that that's what that was until I was much older. But I kind of like <laughs> moonwalked along the line of all of these different manifestations of anxiety growing up. And that was compounded with some traumas. Um, like in high school, my younger brother passed away. And um, just as I got older, I started to not just get more anxious, but I think it started to manifest in more, more outlets and more ways. And ultimately, eventually, I started to really recognize what was going on. And um, yeah, it, I'm really passionate about this topic. I think that there's a lot of people who've kind of settled for status quo in their walk with anxiety and think that maybe their severe anxiety is just a reality. And not to say that, um, you know, I have everything figured out, but I've experienced a lot of hope and freedom in this area. And so I'm just really passionate about sharing that with other women. I love it. I love your passion for it. And thank you for um, sharing your story. So let's, let's just talk for a moment about like what was happening when you were four, um, when you had trichotillomania, I think is how you say it. I know it's such a weird, I've tried to say it like five times in front of you and I still can't, so <laughs> something's changed. But like you said, like you started going to a therapist even at four, which I think is pretty incredible because probably a lot of parents didn't put their kids in therapy at that stage, but your, your parents did. So do you know what was going on there? Yeah. So at the time, my dad was in the army and he was deployed in Haiti for about six months. And so they believe that's kind of where that stemmed from. I wish I could go back um, now that I'm older and figure out if that was really the root cause of what was going on. But I think the separation from my dad was um, a really big deal at that time. Mm, yeah. Do you remember any of those like therapy appointments as a four-year-old? Like, do you remember, did you guys play games? Did you guys talk? Like, what is a therapy for a four-year-old like? Okay, so <laughs> the one thing I remember, and I really hope that at least one person listening knows what I'm talking about, but I had this, um, it was like a blow-up um, punching bag, and his name was Bapo the Clown. <laughs> and he was this um, like blow up uh, punching bag that sat on the ground. And I remember punching Bapo while the counselor asked me questions. <laughs> like punching as hard as you can? Like it's oh, like, yeah. an like you, you get your anger out? Wow, that's amazing. I wonder if that still exists. <laughs> I bet you it does. I think I've tried to Google it. So please, if anyone hears this and they're like, I know what you're talking about. Just <laughs> reach out. <laughs> reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I like boxing so much. <laughs> it all makes sense. Okay, cool. So there, so that is like where it kind of, you know, first began as maybe like a young, young child, but then you said that you've seen like different manifestations or how it's like affected you more. You, you shared with us that your brother passed away when you were in high school. Um, I'm sure that played a huge part. So were you going to therapy again after that? Or, um, I don't know, like when did everything start to surface where you began to be aware of what was happening? Yeah, that's a good question. I did not really deal with my brother's death 
um, for quite some time. I think, I think it just took me a long time to realize how it was manifesting maybe, but it happened when I was 14 and I think I was 22 when I finally saw another counselor. I really thought that seeing a counselor meant that I was weak or that I just couldn't handle my own stuff maybe. So it took me a while, um, but it really didn't start to surface or at least become out of control until I started having panic attacks. And that came along with like, I mean, if you've ever had a panic attack, it kind of feels like a heart attack. And if you don't know it's a panic attack, um, you would probably think that there's something wrong with your heart or that you have something else going on. So I eventually saw a doctor thinking that um, these panic attacks were caused by, you know, something to do with my heart. And um, I was sitting at the doctor's office, I think, I'm, yeah, I must have been 21 or 22. And I saw this poster that had symptoms for panic attacks, which I'd never heard of at the time. And I like read through all the symptoms and I was like, oh, that's what this is. Oh my and gosh, so it was just a poster. In. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went into the doctor's office and I was like, you don't need to diagnose me. Your poster did it. And he was like, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually cool though. Like it, that makes me happy to know that someone like created that poster and they were hoping it would help someone and that poster helped you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. No, that's like so cool. So after that, I was like, maybe it's a counselor I need and not necessarily a doctor. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how the journey began as far as really processing it. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, panic attacks. I, I don't, I sometimes don't know, like, I feel like I sometimes get close to having one where I'll, I'll like, my heart's beating really fast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But then I think I mean, either maybe, I don't know what the difference is, but I feel like I'm able to just say, okay, turn off all screens or like walk away from, you know, walk away from work for a little bit, get outside, breathe, walk. Like I take like 30 minutes off because I can feel something coming on. But if someone's listening- Like right on the borderline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if someone's listening and they don't know if they're having like health issues or if they're having panic attacks, what were, like what were your symptoms that mm. you thought were health problems? Well, that's a good question. And to kind of tie it back to that too, it turns out that a lot of my anxiety was more health related. So I think for anyone that's kind of wondering, yeah, where is this stemming from? My symptoms definitely felt like heart palpitations. I would get numbness or tingling in my hands. I would have a hard time breathing, chest pain, the works, if you will. And I think it's probably worth it to do you know, things like blood testing, um, making sure that you have all the nutrients you need, taking a look at your nutrition. Um, but I think if you're dealing with those symptoms a lot, it's probably good to check in on, you know, is this anxiety? Is it something else? Uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say. Yeah, totally. Okay. So say someone right now is listening and they're not sure if they do struggle with anxiety um, because sometimes they don't even realize it's anxiety. What are some common ways that you found that anxiety affects people? Yeah. So I would say, man, and of course everyone deals with anxiety. It's not part of the, the whole idea of being human, but if you're wondering if it's severe, I think some questions to ask would be, is it holding me back from, my regularly scheduled activities? Am I having a hard time doing things that maybe weren't so hard for me before, whether it's 
you know, social gatherings or, um, you know, if you deal with really fearful thoughts, uh, you could also call those intrusive thoughts where you have a really scary, unwelcome thought that pops into your head and you feel a lot of resistance or fear around it. Um, Can you give us an example of an intrusive thought? Yeah, so one intrusive thought that I had a lot growing up that I didn't recognize until, again, as I got older, was this fear that I'm going to fail. And that would fill my head if I was about to go take a test or I was going to go play like volleyball and gym. And it would just pop into my head and it would scare me. And then it would, of course, make me think like, well, if I do this thing, I'm going to fail. So that's just one small example, but it can be anything. A lot of times it's something that's really taboo, um, especially according to your belief system or, um, you know, like moral obligation. So it can create this kind of physiological response when you have that unwelcome thought that just like creates more fear. Yeah. I, after you and I had talked about intrusive thoughts recently, I found an article that I sent you, but I'm just telling everyone else that was about a guy who had an intrusive thought of like, he was always worried that he was going to be gay. And he was like, just sharing that, like growing up that he felt that being gay was like, I think based on his religion and, and stuff like that, that that would be like the worst possible outcome that could happen for him. Mm. So what he shared in this blog article that I ended up reading was that um, like someone I think from his high school had sent him like an inappropriate picture. And after the inappropriate picture, you know, came to him, he was really disturbed obviously, cause it was, you know, it's from a guy to him and he's guy. And he was like, did that guy think I wanted that? Did he think that, does he think I'm gay? And then he started to be like, maybe I am gay. And so um, the intrusive thought was kind of like, he, he talks about in this article, which I don't even know who this guy is, but I, I thought it was a very interesting article. And I know that I've had weird thoughts before that I'm like, Oh, I don't want that thought. Oh, I don't want that thought. And like, you have these thoughts that like, and I think, you know, everyone who's listening, who knows my story about thinking I was going to die in a car accident at a young age. I think that was probably that belief was formulated around a lot of different intrusive thoughts of like, you know, dying and death and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's like really taboo topics um, like death or, or like one I've heard is like people being afraid that they might like murder someone, like the intrusive thought of like, what if I just go crazy? What if I just like yeah. all of a sudden oh, go yeah, crazy? That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I've had one before. I'm like, what if one day I just like am homeless? Not that that would be like, I mean, I have homeless friends, um, especially in San Diego, because I worked at PATH, which is, you know, for homeless people. But I just, you know, it's still a fear of mine because I don't, I don't want to be homeless. So I'm like, what if I all of a sudden become homeless? Another one could be like, what if I all of a sudden become like a drug addict or, or something like that? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's, I think everyone has different intrusive thoughts at different times. And some of them can like be really severe and reoccurring. Like my death one was for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you might just have one for like a little phase of your life where you're like really worried about something that seems really crazy, but it like, you can't stop thinking about it in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you made a good point because it really does stem back to your belief system. So if you look at your belief system, um, a lot of times those intrusive thoughts come back to like what you think might be the worst case scenario. Um, so for me, like worst case scenario was often this fear around death because I've lost um, several loved ones in my life and specifically my brother, he had an asthma attack. And so when I developed asthma in my early 20s, I developed a lot of fear that I was also going to die, which 
part of that's like fairly rational, but the other part really isn't. But that's, that's how you get kind of twisted up in this like confusion over what's reality when it comes to anxiety. And so I think that's, that's part of the difficulty with intrusive thoughts is if you're not careful and you don't take the necessary steps, it becomes really hard to separate yourself from your fear. And so you worry that you'll, you know, act on it or that truly is something that's true about you. So, yeah. Um, two things. First of all, I just want to like finish the story about the guy who thought he was gay. I just want to say like, if you're listening and you're gay, there, there's nothing, obviously a hundred percent, you don't have to, it goes without saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that for someone who is straight, it was a very confusing thought of like un, sure. unsure of who they were. Cause he thought he was straight, but then he was thinking that people maybe thought he was gay. So then he thought maybe I am gay. So anyway, I just want to put that out there of like, it was more like a, a straight person who was like feeling confusion around their identity as yeah. opposed to like someone who is actually, um, you know, actually gay and then like feeling bad about it or something like that. That's yeah. not what it was. So I just feel like I needed to clarify that for anyone listening. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is like, Kate, how do you deal like with the intrusive thought? What do you do? Cause a lot of times, like when I have my intrusive thoughts, it's like the scenario, it's usually like a scenario. And I like play the scenario out in my mind. And one of my friends and I were talking about this recently. It's like, we feel like we almost need to finish the scenario because it feels weird if you just like leave the scenario in the middle when you're in the mm. middle of like a daydream or something. So like what when you're playing out like worst case scenario type. Yeah. Of when you're playing out the, the weird intrusive thought, like in a, in a weird scenario or something that's like a bad scenario that you don't want to happen, but you keep playing it in your head. How do you stop from playing that scenario in your head? Well, a little trick I learned that has helped me a lot. I'm giving away a little, uh, counseling technique. I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> we um, are not held responsible for anything yeah. here. If you want help, go see a therapist. I'm not viable for your craziness. Only mine. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so a really important thing to focus on is separating yourself from your fear. So like I mentioned earlier with intrusive thoughts, it becomes this, um, you know, like endless scary loop of trying to figure out what's reality and like what you should actually be afraid of. And so one thing I learned is if you have a very specific fear or specific unwanted thought that continues to pop up, or maybe it's, you know, an idea or a scenario, uh, naming that fear so that you create a separate identity for whatever that fear is. So mine, we're going to call Sally. And Sally is a pain in my butt. And this technique, when you start it, if you've never done this, will make you feel a little bit like a crazy person, but way less like a crazy person when you find a little bit of freedom from this fear. So you give, you know, your fear this name, Sally. So let's say I have this um, thought, like I mentioned before, where I was worried I was going to die. So let's say the thought pops up, I'm going to die right now. I would say in my own head unless you want to do it out loud. I've literally done that. I would say, Sally, what are you doing here? I didn't invite you over today. And, you know, the thought keeps popping up. And so you have to play with it, which again, sounds crazy, but you play around with it a little bit and you make light of the situation. So a good example of this would be, 
say that that pops up, you know, I'm going to die. And then I would say, Sally, that's a really interesting thought. Like, you know, I could die right now. That's definitely a possibility. Like you just never know when your time's going to be, but man, I, I look really good right now. So at the very least, like I would go out looking pretty good. And <laughs> I like hot, Sally. So you Sally, know what? I'm going out looking hot. <laughs> <laughs> I look so good right now, Sally. Do you see me? So you have to like make light of it. And rather than resisting, which is what creates more fear, because what people will do is create mantras and be like, I would never do that. I'm a good person. I would never do that. I'm a good person. Or like, that's not going to happen to me. That's not going to happen to me. But what you need to do is like not resist it, but play with it. Again, sounds a little wonky, but it's worth it. It's worth a try. Um, and once you start to do that and you start to not only take yourself less seriously, but you create this separate identity for those fears, you can start to really challenge those and you can start to figure out, okay, what is reality? What are my fears? Um, and it becomes a little bit easier to navigate and to even kind of anticipate um, when those thoughts pop up. That's cool. I like that. I'm like one thing I'm thinking of that a lot of my clients in Next Level Confident have talked about is just social anxiety and like um, feeling like when they go to an event, whether that be for work or maybe it's like through their husband's work or it's, you know, maybe it's a happy hour, maybe it's a conference, whatever it is. It's like there's this social anxiety around like, you know, what if you, especially going alone, I think going alone is something that's really scary and, and yeah. you want to impress the people you're around. So I feel like the, the thing you were just talking about with, with the mantra or, or not the mantra, but the like, uh, naming a person's name, I feel like that could be really helpful for someone who's listening right now who has social anxiety and they are like heading to an event and they're like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to hate you. Mm. And naming that and being like, um, actually Eileen, like no one hates me. <laughs> Remember my girl, I named her Eileen recently. I just, I, you guys, Kate told me this technique last week and I've been on the lookout for a name and I recently came up with a name. It's Eileen. Very excited about it. And no offense if your name is Eileen or Sally, but yeah, those please. are just happen to be our names. Um, yeah. you want to choose a name that maybe has a little bit of like annoyance to you. Like it's someone who bugs you, but it doesn't have to be a literal person, although maybe it could be a literal person. It, I, I mean, know. it could be, you do you, you, know? you do you. Yeah. They, <laughs> and no one has to know cause it's all in your head. So you could be saying like, Oh really Eileen? Like no one's going to like me at this party. That's interesting. Like what makes you think that? And Eileen's like, well, you're overweight. Like you need to lose 20 pounds. Have you ever, have you looked in the mirror recently? And you're like, Oh really, Eileen? That's interesting because I've never hated anyone for their weight. And like, you could just like play around and be like, <laughs> like I, I have lots of friends who are 20 pounds overweight and I actually love them. They're hilarious. Just like I am or whatever. And I think this is a good yeah. way to play with it. Like you said, instead of like shaming yourself into like trying to not think the thought. Exactly. There's like a lot of ways you could translate that. Yeah. And it just makes it lighter and less serious and the less heavy it feels the less it's going to hurt your you know daily life i love that that's so good okay cool so what are the five things that you have done to kick anxiety in the face mm. <laughs> so the first thing is um getting your blood work taken so there are so many things we could talk about with anxiety and factors, you know, Janelle and I have talked a lot about, um, you know, limiting beliefs, some of the basics around confidence and um, 
you know, obviously there's getting enough sleep, there's all of the basics. So we're not really going to touch too much on the basics because I want to give you some creative solutions, but um, blood work is important. And some people listening will be like, oh, well, duh, like that's just, you know, I do that regularly. And other people will be like, well, why would I do that? You know, what does that have to do with being anxious? But there are many nutrients that if you're not getting enough of, a symptom of that can be anxiety, that can be heart palpitations, it can be numbness, um, it can be even just like nervousness or shakiness. So it's worth it to find out and make sure that everything is nutritionally sound. And you can order blood work through a doctor, you can go to an RD, but I think it's really important to have someone in that um, general you know, realm of health to help consult you when it comes to anxiety because it's not just emotional, right? Like there's, there's so many other factors. And for me, that was a big thing was figuring out, you know, what I was low in. And that's my so first. What did you find out? Like when you got your, your blood test back? So for me, a lot of it came back to iron deficiency, which I definitely dealt with in college when I was running. Um, and that's, yeah, another thing that can kind of present as anxiety. Not to say that, you know, when I started taking iron, all of a sudden my anxiety went away, but certainly it made a big difference. So interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So if someone's listening and they want to get their blood work done, they can either like go to a doctor or an RD. Is there is there like a more natural, like, I don't know, a natural way to go where they like you would know that they'd be looking at it and looking at it for like vitamins or something? Or yeah, absolutely. So I initially saw an integrative RD which was, she was a registered dietitian, but she had some more holistic training. And I was so thankful I went that route because she understood physiology really well. So she could look at my blood work and say, okay, well, this makes sense. Like, here's how we can supplement or how we can change things up with your diet, um, which made a big difference because, I mean, I, I feel like this is general knowledge, but, you know, our soil is pretty depleted and it can be hard to get all the nutrients we need even if you're eating really healthy and taking good care of yourself so I think it's worth it's definitely worth the investment I like it okay cool what's number two yeah so number two is coming back to that idea around thought play and creating a separate identity for your fears I think that's honestly one of the biggest things for me when it came to intrusive thoughts and do it out loud. I mean, it feels crazy. Don't do it out loud when you're at the mall, but do it out loud when you're at home. <laughs> then you will really seem crazy. <laughs> Sally, I look good. You can't get me down. <laughs> I'm not going to die right now, Sally. You're like, uh, Kate, are you okay right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. So having a little bit of fun with it and so I did get that from my counselor who I was seeing at the time, and I thought he was pretty crazy, but when I started to do it, it was a big game changer, and just like being able to laugh at yourself, it's really important when it comes to anxiety, so. Yeah, and I mean, I always talk about rewiring the brain, and I think that's just like a really simple way to rewire the brain when that anxious thought, like the second that you have an intrusive thought, you're having a thought that you don't want, right? Like mm -hmm. you're not proud of that thought. You don't like that it's crossing your mind. You wish you'd get rid of it. Those are like our gut reactions. Mm -hmm. But when you speak to your subconscious like that and you say, don't think that, don't do that. Don't, don't, you know, 
deep down we're all little kids. And when you tell a little kid, don't do that, what do they want to do? They want to keep doing it. And we're no different as adults in our subconscious brain. So if the second you have an intrusive thought or unwanted thought, that's, you know, shameful, be that around, you know, body image or sexuality or, or killing or death or whatever, like all these things that are so taboo, those are usually the intrusive thoughts. And it's just important to like, be able to process it in a healthy way instead of saying, don't think that, don't think that, don't think that, don't think that. Exactly. And what happens like physiologically is when you don't have any control and you have those unwanted or fearful thoughts, you literally have a physiological response. So your heart rate goes up, you feel flush, you might feel a little nauseous. And so learning to like play with those thoughts takes some of that response out. So then you kind of can step out of that constant loop that you're stuck in. Totally. And the last thing I'll say on that is just that I know a lot of times people have that at night too, like when they're sleeping or like mm-hmm. about to go to bed. Like I think that's when our minds often can race a lot is like right before bed. And um, it's like realizing that that's like a really good time to start practicing this is like when you're laying there in bed and all the thoughts in the world are coming at you and you're having those quote unquote crazy thoughts. That's when you're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to practice this thing. So I'm not stuck in this loop so that I can actually go back to bed. And you could even joke with Sally like that, like, say, hey, Sally, like, stop trying to give me this crazy thought. I'm trying to sleep here, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah. Can, <laughs> you can get yourself to sleep, seriously, because you need that sleep. <laughs> 56% of college students are women, and 48% of employees in the workplace are women, which is awesome. Ladies, this is proof that we are smart and working hard. But you know what's not so awesome? Only 29% of VPs and just 22% of C-suite executives are women. In male-dominated industries such as STEM, these numbers are even more startling. As these numbers state, women aren't lacking the knowledge, education, or ability to be leaders in the workplace. What many women are lacking is the confidence to take on risk. Most of us have heard this one before. Men will apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for, yet women will only apply for jobs they are 100% qualified for. This type of stat also applies to women at their job, not willing to take on that new, unknown project. What she's lacking is the belief that her skills and abilities are not only, quote unquote, okay, but are powerful and needed in the workplace. The Confidence Workshop is created to help women dig deep into their mindset and get to the root of this problem. If this conversation gets you as fired up as it gets me, we are now taking applications for this workshop for the ladies of STEM corporations. Please head to our website at nextlevelconfident.com to learn more about the Confidence Workshop. Okay, number three. Three. So this one was helpful for me. I think it kind of depends on the person. It depends on your situation. Um, and I do want to make a note too. I think I targeted a lot of this to women. Um, I know a lot of men really struggle with anxiety, but being a woman, that's, you know, the experience I can speak to. Um, but one thing that 
I think a lot of women do that contributes to anxiety, especially when it is severe, is like keeping track of a lot of things. Um, and I'm not talking like schedule, I'm talking more like things around body image or um, social media, for example, um, counting calories or, you know, keeping track of a really strict diet. You know, obviously there's sometimes really good reason to be on a really strict diet, but I think just taking some inventory of all the things you're counting and keeping track of is important. And that can even come down to looking at your social media and figuring out, you know, am I being triggered by anything that I'm following or any person I'm following? Um, yeah, just taking that full inventory and watching, you know, what you're tracking, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. That's super unique. And I wouldn't have thought of that before, but I definitely think that we do keep track of a lot. And I think it's like, it can be the to-do list and then it's also could be the calorie counting. And then I also be like, you know, whatever, a plethora of other things that we're like constantly reviewing in our brain. And it's like this constant loop. I'm actually, I'm think I am not fully sold on it. But I think I'm going to do another month or two long Instagram fast coming up here for March and maybe April as well, because I just find that when I feel like I need to be on social media, I just it's just like that. It's kind of like what you're saying. It's that extra loop in my brain that feels like I should be checking it. But if I get rid of it altogether, for sure, I mean, it, it like frees that a huge section of my brain and like brings so much more peace because I don't feel the need to like check anything. I mean, I have lots of things to check, but it's nice to relieve like one that's maybe not as necessary as I think it might yeah. be sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Anything so, that's like triggering that you don't need to have, you know? Right. I think yeah, maybe tracking your weight would be another one I can think of. Yeah. Like there's a lot of women who step on the scale, like every morning and every night, like twice a day, which yeah. is, you know, if someone's listening, they're like, yeah, I step on the scale five times a day. Like it's, it's actually, it's actually not healthy to do that in yeah. the most loving way possible. Like, um, I think I read in the ACE, um, personal training handbook that it's good to check your weight once a week. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, cause then you're aware of what your weight is, but yeah. anything more than once a week is really not necessary. So like get off the scale, stop, stop staring at that number. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to that idea on taking inventory. Like, is it actually helpful for you to know how much you weigh? Cause you know, if you're, does it make a difference to you or is it just, yeah, one more thing you're trying to keep track of? Yeah. So. Love it. Okay, number four. Okay, so I don't know why, but when I was reading through this list, I was like, this one might be kind of controversial, but it's not really. Um, so <laughs> it's okay I, if it is. I love <laughs> controversial. Well, I'll find out, I guess. Um, I'll just so, cut it out if it's not good. <laughs> Turns out there was no number four, you guys. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> We've only got four for you. Um, so this one, so I love to exercise, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I was a runner in college. Um, I love yoga also. Um, so I've always been passionate about physical fitness and it's always been a big outlet for me as far as, you know, stress and anxiety. But, um, you know, there's a lot of research coming out about how chronic levels of cardiovascular exercise or high intensity interval training um, can lead to not only 
elevated stress hormones, but they remain elevated. They don't come back down if you are doing too much. So over time, I realized I love to run, but I was running so much and just constantly felt stressed. Um, so if you're in that place of you're feeling really anxious, it might be good to do an inventory of your movement patterns and what type of exercise you're doing, because it might be good to at least try switching to something that's a little bit more stress relieving, like yoga or, you know, more body weight movement. And it doesn't have to be an exact science. It could be just playing around and figuring out, you know, what actually makes you feel really good. Because if you're really stressed and you're doing, you know, high intensity interval training every single day, if you're feeling really good and it's like, feels like it's bringing your stress levels down and that's great. But I think that's a good thing to, to be aware of. That's cool. I'm glad you said that because when I was a personal trainer at fit, um, I felt like I needed to work out like all the time, especially like, I don't know, it was part of my marketing and my branding even was like to work out at like prime time so that people could like see me as a personal trainer and see how good I am at working out. And then like I would attract more clients and, um, I felt like I needed to work out like at least six days a week. And I'd be like, okay, I let myself have one rest day a week. Like I'm doing good one rest day a week, you know? And in my mind, it was like, that's what I deserved was one rest day per week. And that was like usually Sundays. And, um, then when I started my business, I just realized like, I didn't need to be in a gym that often. And I started like doing more just long walks. And like, I think at least back in San Diego, I was doing like two days a week of boxing and then two days a week of heavier lifting. And then the other two to three days of the week, I would just walk or I would just stretch or, or yeah, go to yoga. It would just be like way less high intense stuff, way less weightlifting. Like, cause before I would have thought only two days of weightlifting a week, that's like nothing. Cause I was weightlifting like four or five days a week yeah. and doing cardio on all those days. Right. And I know it runs at different places with all this fitness stuff, but I know that my body actually got better when I stopped working out so hard and so much. I like started to get, it was the weirdest thing. I started to get more compliments on my body from working out four days a week than I was from working out six days a week really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting that not that it matters. Like, I mean, compliments are nice. It's not at all about that, but I started to notice I, I actually liked how I looked better and I liked how I felt more too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, what makes a lot of oh, sense of what you're saying that like, we have this idea of what perfect fitness looks like. And I mean, well, I don't remember what it's called, but there is a version of fitness that's like actually a, a, a disorder, you know, along with anorexia and bulimia. It's, oh, yeah. it's called, I forget what it's called, but yeah, you're like over-exercising as your way of like staying fit and that just adds more anxiety because you're just being so hard on yourself and hard on your body for not being like perfect. Yeah, definitely. And social media does not help that either. Social media if you're not careful, can make you think like, oh, I'm, I actually probably need to work out nine days a week. <laughs> <laughs> Two days every day. Yeah. I've had then it's, it's not all about, you know, calories in calories out. You know, the most recent studies are showing that like, maybe that plays a role, but so much of it is stress and comes back to stress. And if you're chronically stressed, like, how are you going to have the body that you want? How are you going to have the mind that you want? Um, and the life that you want. So yeah, it's crazy how much stress can play a part into weight loss because I would have numerous clients who would be doing 
everything right. You know, they'd be working out, they'd be getting their sleep, they'd be drinking their water, they'd be counting their macros. And I'm like, dude, you're trying like a billion times harder than I am. I don't understand why this isn't working. And then we would start to look at the stress levels and, and like lies from their past and like some of the mindset type stuff. Yeah. And that's when they would start to experience the weight loss, you know? And, and then there was other clients who weren't ever willing to go there. They kept being like, I just need to count my macros harder. I just yeah. need to work out more. And I'd be like, no, I promise you, you're literally doing so much already. There's yeah. no way you could be any more perfect in those arenas. And they weren't willing to like look at their stress and they weren't willing to look at their mindset on why they weren't losing the weight. And I, and that's always unfortunate when people aren't willing to like accept that that could be a part of why their weight is what their weight is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last thing I'll say, and then we'll go to number five is that with social media, I have been in the last like year, especially on a huge unfollowing gallivant, if that's a word. Um, I think so. Yeah. It sounds good. I like that word. I should use that more often. <laughs> gallivant. Gallivanting around. Um, but yeah, just like a lot of girls who post, um, like really bootylicious pictures are really like, I don't know, like things that are really showing off their body a lot. Like I used, it used to not trigger me the way it does now, but now it does that. I don't really know exactly why, but my first reaction is always like, like when I see it on my page and I'll literally just go like immediately click on their name, unfollow. And I'm like, I'm sure she's a great girl. I'm sure she's really nice. I'm sure she's wonderful. Like there's nothing wrong with her. I don't even, it's not even judgment. It's just like, I can't put that in front of my face because it like does something weird to me that I can't even fully put into words, but I just know my first reaction when I see is, and I know that it's not like a good thing. It's, it's either me comparing or me feeling uncomfortable looking at it or something. So I I don't know. I just unfollow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Number five. Number five. So I think that I'm not a doctor and I'm not prescribing anything. So just keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my number five is being a little bit creative and stepping out of the box a little bit and trying new things for anxiety that maybe you wouldn't have thought of before. Um, For example, again, not prescribing anything. Um, One of the things that made like the biggest difference in my um, panic symptoms was actually chiropractic care. And I grew up um, thinking that that was like some voodoo juju magic. So (laughs) I kind of fell into it um, in my mid-20s. And so I just encourage you to keep an open mind and maybe try new things. Um, Like I know people have said that acupuncture works for them. Obviously, these things are anecdotal um, just from this regard. But you know, I know one girl that got really into watercoloring and that's made a huge difference in her stress levels and she does watercoloring in the evening. Um, so I just encourage people to try something they wouldn't have tried before. Like one of those, um, I haven't done this, but float, float spas. Yes. I've been wanting to try that too. I don't, yeah, I've never done that and I don't know how expensive it is. Like, I just don't know, but I've heard good things. So all that to say, um, again, not prescribing anything, but, but try something new, like get out of your own head and try something that maybe seems a little goofy, you know? Yeah. 
I love that. What are the positives to anxiety? And this is something you and I have talked about, but how can you use your anxiety or fire for fueling your purpose? Yeah, I love that question. I think until, you know, the last few years when I had a hard time owning my anxiety and I was really ashamed of it and really felt like it was like weakness. Um, I think now that I've owned it more, it feels like power and it feels like this like fire under my butt to not only get things done, but to like do things well, to fight for other people. And I think when harnessed appropriately, anxiety can stem from this place of like, you know, wanting to achieve or wanting to push. And I think you can use that for good for sure. Um, I know part of what fuels me is anxiety. Um, but I'm actually like excited about that. And that's what also fuels me to talk about it and what fuels me to, I don't know, encourage other people in that regard. So what about you? What's your answer to that question? Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting to be interviewed on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I hadn't really ever thought of it like that until you actually mentioned it to me on the the phone the other day when we were talking and I was like, that's actually cool. And there's been a few times where I've felt anxious since that conversation that, or I've done something that's like one of my manifestations of anxiety. Um, you know, like my bad habits of sorts and, and instead of beating myself up for it, or instead of being like mad at myself, I'm like, you know, what are you doing? Like get back on track, but like in some of the beat up session that, that I do in my head and I mean, of course, I'm a work in progress. I teach women to step away from that. But of course, we all have moments where we do it. But what has been freeing is that in thinking about my anxiety as fuel, I kind of am like having more grace for myself. Mm -hmm. And like when I have, um, you know, a little bit of anxiety flaring up and I'm feeling like overwhelmed, I'm, I'm finding myself like, actually it's the reason why you have anxiety is because you have a lot of fire inside of you and yeah. that fire is a good thing like you get to use your fire for the good and like and it's good that you have fire that means you have motivation and that means that you're you're going to do things in life so like don't be hard on yourself for feeling a little anxious right now and so it's just like led to more freedom um that's awesome yeah and even like today i was feeling a little overwhelmed and sometimes what i've been doing lately is being okay with like the slow steady route to anything. So whether like if someone's listening, whether that be a relationship, whether that be your career, whether that be um, your the, the, the body that you want, the, the health that you want, um, realizing that the slow steady route is always better. And I keep repeating in my head, like every day my mantra is like slow and steady wins the race, slow and steady wins the race. And that helps me when I'm like feeling anxious feel the freedom to step away from work. Cause right now I think that's kind of my big thing is like, you know, entrepreneur success, like make a big name for myself, blah, 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 change thousands of lives. And I put that pressure on myself basically. And sometimes that pressure feels like too much to bear. And especially when I want it like quickly, when I want it overnight, I'm like, I should be here. I should be further along in this. I should be further along in this. Um, and Frankie and I had our meetup last night and we talked all about this stuff with everyone who came and, and, you know, listened to different people, like talk about how they felt like they should be further along in their life. You know, they're like, I'm 30. I thought I'd be married by now, or I thought I'd have, you know, this certain career or this certain amount of money by now. And we put these expectations on ourselves of like where we should be at. 
And so I think for me, when I repeat the mantra, slow and steady wins the race, it helps me be like, it's okay that you don't have it all right now. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Therefore, like this morning when I was going to say, I took a little bit of time off from working and I literally just took like a really long shower. I like actually finally shaved my legs for the first time in way too long. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is gross. Like I actually just took care of myself. I did a face mask. I like actually blow dried my hair. I made myself some pancakes. Like I just took a few hours off. I took, I put my phone away. I didn't check it. Like, and I just needed that. And I think that like, it's because I allow myself to say slow and steady wins the race. I can take an hour, two hours off of working to be able to um, not stress myself out to be like, you need to be working. You need to be getting stuff done. You need to be mm-hmm. like working harder, not like this. So yeah, I guess that's kind of a long story, but that's, that's what I did. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So Kate, if you could have every single person listen to this podcast, do one smart goal from here, what would that one smart goal be? Whew. I would say start with possibility and I would say start with maybe journaling out what it would look like for you to experience more freedom. I think that too many people, again, kind of get stuck in that status quo or kind of get stuck in, well, this is my reality. I'm just an anxious person, but, you know, start to visualize and write out what it would look like for you to feel 50% less anxious or 25% less, less anxious and start to really create that as a possibility before you even take inventory of anything else. Um, Cause it's really important to, to believe that it's possible to get better and it absolutely is. So. Yes. I love that one. So good. Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, where can everyone find you or reach you if they're wanting to reach out and, um, you know, ask questions or let you know that they loved this podcast or that they really resonate with your story, any of those things? Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram, again, McKatester, M-C-K-A-T-E-S-T-E-R. I really had to think about that. Um, but you can also re- reach me at hello at Um, If you have any specific questions, you want to send via email yeah so thanks for having me yes you're welcome and you know what anyone listening if you know of any awesome corporations that would like the confidence workshop hey please reach out to kate at hello at janellelinae.com <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you like that little ad there at the end plug. <laughs> exactly not ashamed just pumped to be in every corporation in america <laughs> all right girlfriend thank you so much for being on here i really appreciate you i appreciate you thanks so much bye